dive into the word today. Uh, so anybody like already finding themselves hungry and ready for lunch after service? You can be honest. Yeah, like Jake, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is about Sunday morning service, but I'm always hungry way earlier than every other day of the week. And here's my apology to you. I still have to preach. You're not getting out of here early just because you're hungry. Okay, uh, so I, I do have to preach today. But that, that hunger thing in church is really funny to me. In fact, when I really think about hunger, I, I think about the way that God created us to always need food again. Like, it's kind of unfair if you really think about it. Like, the creator of the universe, the one that made mountain ranges and like a gazillion different animals and like more fish in the sea than you can even imagine, that guy didn't create a body that we don't have to constantly have food for. You ever thought about that? I mean, when I was a kid, I used to think about cars, okay? And as a child, anytime we'd stop to get gas, I'd always think, why didn't they create a car that wouldn't need gas or oil changes or blinker fluid? (laughs) Just get it. Like, why didn't they make cars to not constantly need maintenance? Now, of course, back then, I didn't understand thing called science, but it always, like, was weird to me. And and food's kind of that way. Our bodies are kind of that way. Like, if you think back to the fifth grade, I think, you know, you, we learned you can't go more than about three weeks without food, about three days without water. We constantly need food. It is our own fuel, right? It's, it's the fuel we need to get from day to day. In fact, we need it so often we have to eat multiple times a day, right? Some people don't ever stop eating during the day. We constantly need fuel, And I really think it's amazing that God created our bodies in this way. It's like an everyday reminder that we need him, that we need something, that we literally can't survive without fuel. And when we think about this fact, we eat and then burn calories, and then we eat again and burn calories, and we eat again and burn calories. I mean, think about anybody ever like got to four or five o'clock in the afternoon and you realized you haven't put anything in your mouth all day, like no water, no drink, no food, ever done that? I totally have. And it's like you hit three, three thirty in the afternoon and all of a sudden you're like, man, I feel exhausted. And you're, you're like, why am I so tired? I slept okay last night. And then you go, oh, I haven't had any food and I'm not sure that I drank water today. And your body's just totally depleted. We have to have Fuel, it's the way that God created us to be. And I believe this is a lesson for us to learn about the provider of God. The provider of God. Here in a moment, we're going to be in scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, I am not cool like Pastor Austin. I did not have slides made today. So you have to actually read from a Bible. All right, 1 Kings chapter 17. Speaking of Pastor Austin, him and Miss Charity are gone on vacation this week. That's why you're stuck with me today. Uh, So be praying for them. They're going to be gone all week, just going and getting refreshed and rejuvenated because you guys are exhausting. Just kidding. Just kidding. Vacation's good. It's important. And we're really, really glad for them. They, they got to get away for a few days. So you guys be praying for our pastors and charity. They can't wait to be back here with us next Sunday morning. So today I'm going to be reading. I need this to go away. Or that's going to get thrown. Okay. Here we go. I also think I might need this to go away. Sorry, guys. Okay, now I feel better. Okay. Are you with me? Anybody just wake up weird today? I woke up kind of weird today. Anybody else? You don't know what you're in for. I told Zach last night, 
these are the weirdest sermon notes I've ever written, so good luck today, okay? Here we go. First Kings chapter 17. So when we read this, this chapter in scripture, we actually see uh, an example of God's provision, and it, it actually is talking about food. So if you are already hungry today, I apologize. You know, we'll be out by noon, I promise. I won't keep you till 2 p.m., but we're going to talk about food a lot today, so... Good luck. All right. First Kings chapter 17, starting in verse one. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank by the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord, your God lives, I do not have bread only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, you make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Father, we love you so much today. God, I am so thankful for the opportunity to share your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would allow it to speak to our hearts. God, that this message would challenge us in a new way. Father, that we would discover a new aspect of you as provider. God, that we would lean into who you are. Father, that those of us in this room that are living without, that are living in a drought, God, that are living in doubt, Father, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would encourage us today to lean into who you are. Father, change us This morning, in your awesome and holy name we pray, amen. So in this uh, portion of scripture, we see Elijah provided for in a couple of different ways. I think there are some important lessons to look at the way God chose to provide for Elijah here. First and foremost, we see Elijah's needs are provided for because the circumstances he he is in are difficult. God provides his physical needs because of the circumstances that Elijah is walking into. Then later on, we go to see God not only provide physically for the needs of, the, of Elijah and the widow and her son, but also emotionally for them as well. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Two different ways that God provides for us is what we're going to be talking about this morning. First of all, the drought. 
Now, when we read this, Elijah prophesies a drought is coming, and and so drought equals no food, no water. It's going to be a difficult time. And then God commands Elijah to go out by a brook and, and hang out there, and the ravens are going to provide for him. Literal birds bring him breakfast every morning and dinner every evening. They bring him breakfast every morning and dinner every evening to prepare for the drought. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been through some seasons of drought in my life. I've been through some times of without in my life, and I think that we all experience droughts in and out of our lives. We all occasionally go through a drought in our life, a drought in our finances, a a drought that affects our cars or our our jobs, our incomes, the people in our lives, a a, a drought that, that, that occurs in such a way that we feel like we might even die. I think back to a time that God miraculously provided for my family. I was a a young girl and we had been going through a difficult financial time in my family. Now, I was young enough that I didn't know the exact stint of our financial crisis, but I was old enough to know it was concerning. I could see the stress my parents were carrying. I could see the stuff that they were going through. And this particular morning, I woke up before school and went to the cabinet to eat breakfast. And I have a very distinct memory opening the cabinets and having the thought, how are we going to eat dinner tonight? There was so little in there. I knew there was not enough. Now in my head, in my memory, it was one can of green beans. I think that was in that cabinet and there was no other dinner foods in the house. I was young enough to know I might be not remembering exactly correct, but I I know that I know there was not enough food for dinner that night. And I know that I know we hadn't been paid yet because I'd heard my mom say that a few times talking about the next paycheck. I was very concerned as a young girl what might happen this day. And I left for school. And when my mom picked us up and brought us back home that evening, I remember the miracle that happened. This drought we were going through was very scary for all of us. But as we pulled up into the driveway, we looked up on the porch and stacked on all the stairs were more groceries than I'd ever seen in my whole life. And well, not just like any groceries, okay? Some, some, you know, somebody that really knew what they were doing for a family of eight was the one who purchased these groceries. Because when I started opening up sacks, like the rich people cereal was in there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Like, like the boxes of the real stuff, not the like off-brand great value stuff. We flipped through there and there were snacks in there. We didn't do snacks at our house because we, we were poor at the time. Like we didn't have fruit, fruit by the foot. That wasn't something we had, but there was fruit by the foot. And somebody with a lot of money went grocery shopping for us and just left it on the porch for our family. Now, I remember pulling up in that car and watching my mom's response. I knew that I knew this was not just a miracle we kind of needed, but a miracle we desperately needed. That in the drought my family was going through, God still provided. 
In fact, when I look at scripture, I can see where God references the fact that he wants to meet our needs, that he does take care of our needs. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than clothing and the body more than clothing? The life more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds in the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into an oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own. Sufficient is the day in its own trouble. Did you hear that? The heavenly father knows that you need all these things. That he legitimately is concerned about our physical well-being. He is legitimately aware of the things that we need. Now, there's a difference between need and excess. Okay, there's a difference between need and desire. There's a difference between actual real needs, right? Because we, on this side of the world, we struggle a little bit with really understanding what need is sometimes. And, and, and in here, there is no promise that he's going to always provide steak and baked potatoes, right? It's a promise that he recognizes the need in the same way he takes care of the birds of the air and the the lilies and the grass, that he will meet our need, that God legitimately cares about the state of our well-being, and he understands what we must have because he made us to need it. He created us in this way to need and desire, and he wants to take care of it. But we have one responsibility there in Matthew chapter 6. It tells us to seek first the kingdom And then all these things will come to you. Now, I've heard people quote that scripture before, and and they quote it in a way that's like, seek first the kingdom and all your dreams will come true. That's not what it says. It doesn't say, seek first the kingdom and you'll be rich. It doesn't say, seek first the kingdom and you'll have everything your heart desires. Seek first the kingdom and and you'll get to become everything you want to be. It doesn't say anything like that. It says, seek first the kingdom and all these things. All your needs will be met. And that's powerful stuff that my responsibility isn't to worry about where the next meal is going to come from. My responsibility is to worry about seeking after Jesus and getting closer to who he is. If I can first prioritize God and who he is, he will prioritize my needs who need to be met. You see, all things come from him anyways, right? We naturally recognize this a little bit. We do it when we pray before a meal. They say grace before they eat. And when you pray, what are you doing? You're thanking God for this food. You're recognizing, even if it's just a habit and you're not really thinking about the fact that this is why you're praying, but you're recognizing the fact that it's God who meets needs. It's God who provides food. It's God who makes a way. He is the need meter. Now I recognize that in modern day America, most likely many of us or most of us in this room are not going hungry. 
That food itself may not be the issue, but that doesn't mean that droughts don't still happen in our lives. You ever had a season of your life that it just seems everything goes wrong on the outside? You know what I'm talking about? Like your refrigerator dies and you lose all the groceries that you had just bought. And then the air conditioner starts acting funny and then the truck explodes, right? It's like if one thing is going to go wrong, all things are going to go wrong. That when droughts come, they are painful. In fact, when a drought comes to an area, a legitimate drought comes, it's not just about the fact that water is gone. It's not just about the fact that it stops raining and we no longer can get water. Water is the source of life. Water is everything. So the water goes away, then the the plants are going to die, then the animals have nothing to eat, and then eventually we run out of food, right? Droughts are are something that happen in a way that it's constant. It's just like a, a, a stone rolling down a hill. It just continues to multiply. And when we experience droughts, we have to understand that we serve a God who wants to meet our needs and meet us in the drought. He wants to meet us in the drought. And the evidence of that fact is the fact that we're all living and breathing today, right? The very fact that I'm alive is evidence that God wants to provide. God is enough to meet my needs, so seeking him is all I need. Now, at the end of this section of scripture, Elijah, he has this miraculous thing happen. Birds bring him lunch and dinner every day. Have you ever, uh, this is just side note, has nothing to do with the sermon, but just a random thought that I think when I read the Bible, how gross it was to eat food that came out of bird's mouths. You ever thought about that? That's just a weird thing. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I'm like, why did you do that? That's disgusting. (laughs) He wasn't worried about the bird flu. It was fine. He survived. But at the end of this portion of scripture, it says the brook dried up, right? The drought is now here. There's no more water. And so God has Elijah move on. What I love about that fact is that God knew the brook was going to run dry and already had a plan. It says the the brook ran dry. And then God says, okay, get up from here. Go to another place. I have commanded a widow there to meet your needs. That he already had a plan before the drought had totally annihilated him. He already knew it was coming and already took care of things. Sometimes in our droughts, we have to remember that God already saw it coming and he can already be enough to meet the needs. Then he moves on to the widow. Now, this story of the widow, you may have heard this in, in, in a sermon before, and, 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 and I feel like I've heard lots of sermons about it, but probably the most fascinating thing about the whole portion of scripture in this story is what the widow says to Elijah. When he approaches her and and he walks up to the gate and sure enough, there's a widow there exactly like God said was going to happen. And he says to her, can you bring me a cup of water? She goes to get it. She goes to get the water. She's not like a a jerk. She goes to get the water. And then as she's walking away, he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Can you also just bring me a little bit of bread? And she turns and looks at Elijah and she says, well, as your God knows. Okay, so that's the first thing that's interesting is your God knows already. I am out here because we're almost out of food and I'm actually just collecting these sticks so that I can make the last piece of bread for me and my son so we can die. Now let's think about that for just a second. This is a mom. Okay. A mom 
who's so broken and devastated by what she's experienced, she's accepted the fact her child is going to die, and not just like kind of die, he's going to die of starvation. He's going to die a long, slow, painful death. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any mamas that would put up with that. I don't know any mamas that would just lay down and say it's okay. I don't know any mamas who would just say, well, we're out of bread today, so I'm gonna give you this and let's die. It's not a casual thing she's saying here. But I have to assume, just understanding moms, that something in her was so devastated. She had literally tried to reach every resource she possibly could. She had come to the end of herself. She was so broken, so gone, so dead, so full of doubt that she assumed her child was going to die and there was nothing she could do about it. Brokenness inside her, filled with doubt. Elijah kind of ignores her and says, you just make me a small cake and then you can eat some bread and God's going to provide. So she goes to make the cake. Now this is another part of scripture that I kind of like to think about sometimes. This mom, this mom who'd come to the place already accepting the fact her child's going to die is now baking this cake for some random guy that asked her for just one more thing. I wondered, like, what was going through her head as she was putting the ingredients together. She was rolling out the dough and putting it in her pan and sticking it in an oven. I know, it's the Bible. They didn't have ovens like we have today, but in my head, she does. What was going on inside of her as she's making this small cake? She was already so far gone, she assumed her son would die. I question, was there even a glimmer of hope inside of her? Was there a small ounce in her that said, man, I'm going to try this. I'm not so sure it's going to work, but it's worth a shot. Or was she grumbling and complaining because things had been so bad. Things had been so difficult. She knew there was no way this could happen. There's no way that this was real. And, and she's making the cake almost in a bitter way. You know, like, well, I guess I'll make this cake. Make one more person happy before I kick it. You know, <laughs> like, like, like what was her attitude in that moment? What was she What was she going through as she waited for it to come out? As she handed it to Elijah, as she took the last bit of bread and handed it to her son. What was she feeling and thinking and experiencing in this moment because she was so overwhelmed with doubt? How could she possibly find a glimmer of hope? See, but in in this story, we're not necessarily the widow as much as we all are like the oil and the flour. See, sometimes, sometimes we can go through experiences where it feels like we've poured out and we've poured out and we've poured out and we've poured out and we've given and we've given and we've given and we've done and we've done and we've done and there's just not enough left in the jar. There's just not enough left to go around. There's not enough of me to give anymore. There's there's no more joy. There's no more peace. There's no more patience. There's no more of me that I can give. And I'm emptying out the last bit of self, saying to myself, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm done. I'm going to give the last ounce of who I am, and I'm giving up because there's nothing left for me to give. There's no way I can make bread again tomorrow. We go through these times where we don't feel like we're enough, that we don't have enough inside of us, that sometimes we need God, the provider, not just to provide for the physical needs around us, but the desperate emotional needs 
inside of us. And the same way that God miraculously fills the jar and the bin every day for many days, he's enough to fill us over and over and over again. See, whether you're in a drought or you are totally consumed with doubt and emptiness on the inside, God is enough. But what's so beautiful about this story is that it's not about the provision itself. See, the story's not about the miracle of the ravens or the miracle of the filled jar. The story is about connection to the provider himself. If you go on, uh, uh, 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 17, he goes on. I'm not going to read the whole story. You can finish out the chapter. And, and the, the woman wakes up one day, and her son gets sick anyways and dies. So she goes to Elijah, and she's like, what? Are you here to pay me back for all of my sins? My son is dead. Elijah scoops up the boy, and it says it goes up into his room, and he prays a prayer. He asks God, are you here to torture this woman and take her son? And then he simply prays, oh, Lord, put his soul back in him. And the boy wakes up. He's alive. As he carries him back down the stairs, he hands him off to his mom. And he says to her, your son, see, your son's alive. And verse 24 of that chapter, it says, then the woman said to Elijah, now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You see, it was never about the provision itself. It was about connectedness to the provider. It was about this woman knowing that God was truth. It was about this woman seeing that he was real. About this woman knowing what the definition of truth is so she could encounter God himself. It was about connection to the provider, not the provision itself. Sometimes when we don't feel like we have enough, sometimes we feel like we've emptied ourselves out. We go to look for provision each and every day instead of connecting with the provider each and every day. But the provision will run out tomorrow, but the provider won't ever walk away from me tomorrow. It's about the provider, not the provision. Later in the New Testament, Jesus is referenced as the bread of life. John 6.33 tells us, for the bread of God is he, Jesus, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I love that he's referenced as food. It goes really well with this sermon. The bread of life. That Jesus' salvation is the constant sustenance I need. That when I stay connected to Jesus himself, I'm given life from him. But much like I can't go home today and eat a large pizza and assume I won't need to eat tomorrow. You know? Like, I could go home today and eat a whole large pizza, and scientifically speaking, it's enough calories, it should last me, like, the whole week. But if you've ever eaten a whole large pizza, and I won't ask you to raise your hand if you have, it's okay. (laughs) If you've ever consumed a whole large pizza, you know, like, 24 hours later, You're hungry again. In the same way with God, we can't live off of one salvation moment. 
We can't live off of one big feast with Jesus. We can't even live off of just Sunday mornings. That it has to be a constant fueling coming from Jesus himself. That in order to live in a way that understands God truly is enough, I must be willing to stay connected and consume the bread of life. Our bodies are a literal object lesson to remind us that we have to have God and we have to have him every day, multiple times a day. It's every time I feel hungry in my body, I should recognize the hunger in my soul because I need him. And here's what happens when I finally come to a place of understanding that he is enough. It changes the way I see the world around me. You see, understanding and living in a way and accepting the fact that God the Father truly is enough and if I could just continue to consume who he is, I will be okay. It doesn't mean that I'm never gonna have needs again. It doesn't mean that I'm never gonna walk through a drought again. It doesn't mean that I'm never gonna experience doubt again. It doesn't mean that I'm never gonna go through a hard time again. It just means when those hard times come, I don't come crashing down anymore. I don't fall to pieces anymore. I don't have to stress anymore. I can live out Matthew chapter six. I don't have to worry anymore because God, the provider is enough. And even though I can't tell what things are gonna happen around me, I don't understand how we're gonna make it through this time. I know he will provide. And know he will. You see, he's enough in the crisis. He's enough to help me make my next major life decision. He's enough in the quiet. He's enough in the chaos. He's enough in my finances. He's enough when I'm lacking. He's enough when I'm blessed. He is enough. It's the provider we seek to consume. The worship team can come get ready this morning. It's the provider we seek to consume. I had a revelation in my walk with God a few years ago. I think I preached a message here about the word abide and how it kind of radically changed my life, learning what it meant to abide in who Jesus is and changed my devotional life, changed the way I encountered God on a daily basis. But in that time, this statement, God is enough, resounded in my soul. Because I woke up one day and realized The fact that God saved me, a wretched soul who was so far gone and so far lost and way off the path and didn't deserve God's forgiveness at all. That act alone was enough to sustain me for eternity. That act alone, if God never did anything else for me for the rest of my life, it was enough for me to give everything back to him that I didn't have to constantly come back to God and beg and plead for him to meet this need, that I could just connect to him and trust it would all work itself out. That my salvation, my, my, my redemption, the moment I met Jesus for the first time, it's enough. And every day I wake up no matter what circumstances are going on around me, no matter what I might be experiencing or feeling, no matter what might be going on inside or outside of me, and know I have enough. I'll have enough joy. I'll have enough patience. I'll have enough kindness. I'll have enough peace. I'll have enough to give. I have enough to rest. 
I have enough to love. I even have enough to smile when I don't want to. That I already have it. I just have to live it. And the greater part of that truth, the greatest part of that truth, is that not only is there enough of God for me, but I can live confidently that he's enough for everybody else too. That when crisis comes, I can be the steady voice in all circumstances. When I see people around me experiencing storms, I can be a calming presence in their time of need because I already stand, understand God's enough for me and, and God will be enough for them too. That I don't have to stress about my kids who are away from Jesus because he loves them more than me and he's enough for them. I don't have to stay awake at night worried about my neighbor next door who lost their home. I know that God is enough for me and, and he'll be enough for them too. I can walk confidently when people come broken and bruised and devastated and, and full of doubt or in the middle of a drought. The same God that's enough for me will be enough for them too. And that enoughness, that's not a word, but it is today. That enough that he is, is long lasting and forever. And he can fill up the jar of oil and the bin of flour over and over and over and over again. God is enough.